0: Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today on the show, I am so thrilled to talk to a topic that really has played out in my life in various times, various ways, and that is journaling.
1: Emily, do you keep a journal? Are you kidding me? My heart is like beating out of my chest because I love journaling so much. I have still in my possession journals that I started in the third grade, and I wrote pretty regularly from the third grade up until a few years after college. But things have waned since then because I learned that I was actually a writer. Oh, I think we use the term a journaler to describe ladies writing, especially women writing about their own personal lives. But really, what that makes you is a writer. And once I actually reconciled that in my brain, I started writing a lot more publicly and started processing some of those thoughts out loud.
0: Would you say that journaling helps you discover yourself as a writer and take ownership over that label?
1: Yeah. I think my therapist actually was the first person who said to me, oh, you're a writer, when I mentioned that I've always journaled as a way to process my thoughts. So I can't take credit for it because I definitely didn't come to that realization on my own. But it helped me become a better writer, for sure.
0: I love that. I love that. I think that you're spot on. You talk about the way that women's writing in journals and diaries is often sort of looked at historically as less important than, you know, men's writing in newspapers or books or blah, blah, blah. It's sometimes sort of talked about like it's not as important. But what's actually really interesting about women in journaling is that a lot of literary scholars Are actually going back and looking at the journals and diaries of really well known famous women writers and making arguments about who they were and sort of putting their journals in conversation with some of their more popular writing. I love it. It makes them historically
1: salient from a personal perspective, not just based on their professional success, which we've always done that with men's journals. If you think about the founding fathers, their letters to the loved ones become anthologies. Their personal writings and musings were seen as salient. Um, based on their historical preeminence and power. But now I love seeing that that's being done with some of the most famous and influential and incredible female writers from literary history.
0: Totally. Shout out to Mary Helen Washington, um, who I actually T.A. for when I was working on my Ph.D. at University of Maryland. Um, I was trying to get my Ph.D. in African-American women's literature. Never actually ended up happening. Sorry, mom and dad. But <laughs> I did meet Dr. Helen Washington there, and she was great. Um, she's actually doing a lot of literary scholarship, looking at the diaries and journals of famous black women writers. She has this great biography of Ida B. Wells, who is one of my um, literary heroes, really, who is sort of known for her writing and cataloging and really early data journalism around lynchings and racism in the South. But what's very interesting is that even though Ida B. Wells is known publicly for her writing around topics like race, her diaries really illustrate a very different side to her. Her diaries are full of writing about romantic struggles, um, conflicts she has with family, Money trouble,
1: which we were just talking about. What our diaries contents say about us off air, and what did what did we summarize your journaling to oh, be about? Uh, if,
0: if my if my <laughs> if, if the writings of Bridget Todd was ever published, it'd probably be called "Boy Trouble and Overdraft Fees." The that's Bridget Todd story. Right.
1: It's like bank account fees and boys. I just think that's so perfect. Basically,
0: basically it. Um, but yeah, what I love about this is that it really shows that a lot of women writers. It's in their journals and in their diaries where they really feel free to be this this different version of themselves. And sometimes that version of themselves does not necessarily align with the writings they're known for publicly.
1: Right, exactly. Which makes me feel the sense of freedom around being multifaceted women with lots of different kinds of interests. Like, for instance, Alice Dunbar, a poet, an activist, and a D.C. native, in her personal diary, she wrote about her lesbian extramarital affairs, but which, for some reason, didn't quite make it to her public Writings in quite as obvious a way. So it's, it feels like your personal diary can be this escape where you are free to be fully yourself. It's just for you. And now historians, God, I hope historians never look at my diaries. Let me just make that completely clear on the record. But (laughs) historians are going back and better understanding these talented women and understanding You know, even if revealing too much of their intimate lives could have cost them their lives at one point in history or reflected poorly, especially for black women like Alice Dunbar, not only on behalf of all women, but on behalf of the black community. Now, at this time, we're able to understand her with a more progressive and compassionate and well-rounded perspective.
0: Totally. Another famous female writers whose diaries I was super, super interested in is Virginia Woolf's. Her diary was the last of her writings to be published. And what I found so fascinating about some of the excerpts of her diary that I read while researching this podcast are the ways that the political climate of the day that she was living in, you know, World War II, Hitler, all of that really Kind of took over her life in a kind of way. And so her diaries show someone who is struggling to be creative, having these creative ups and downs, but so much of her diaries is about what's happening with Hitler, what's happening with World War II, to the point where it's clear that she is not able to really function Regularly and creatively the way that she wants to because she is so consumed with this. Are you relating to this? Oh, I'm, I was relating to it hardcore. <laughs> hardcore. So this is in
1: 1936. She's revising her novel, The Years, which went on to be tremendously successful. And all of this is happening with World War II and the rise of Hitler in the background. And so her diary excerpt here, I thought was really troubling is one way to say
0: it, but you, you are reading the words of a woman on the verge of nervous collapse. Definitely. And I mean, again, I don't want to draw too many parallels, but she has so many lines that I feel like I relate to so much. This this one quote from her entry. She's looking at, you know, all of this stuff happening in politics. She writes, this idea struck me. The army is the body. I am the brain. Thinking is my fighting. Mm. And that just it gives me chills because I think if we didn't have her diaries, we would never know that Virginia Woolf was someone who for whom... Thinking and writing and being a creative person, that was her way of resisting and fighting back and, you know, standing up against what she was really watching unfold with these wide eyes, kind of terrified. So we've already been talking about the ways that these famous female writers' journaling have showed up in their lives and told us more about their inner lives and really helped us understand their writing. But what about the rest of us? What about us not famous writers or, you know— Normies. (laughs) (laughs) Normies. Normies. <laughs> <laughs> what if I'm not Virginia Wolf? Right. That's kind of the high bar. It's a high bar. Not all of us are Virginia Wolf. But you know, what are the ways that journaling can can really benefit us? So we're gonna dive into some of that research right after this quick break. And we're back. We were just talking about how journaling has played out in the lives of some of the most famous women writers out there. But How can journaling help us? What does the science say? Well, science has actually shown that journaling is good for us. In fact, it's so well regarded that there's a center for journal therapy dedicated exclusively to the mental health benefits of regular journaling, both in therapeutic and personal settings. Um, This was something that I found kind of shocking. I've been an on-again, off-again journaler, I certainly have found positive benefits, but I was really surprised to see how overwhelming the science is on this issue.
1: I felt going into this like it was so woo-woo. You know, it was like, oh, you know, your morning pages or, you know, a brain dump. And and all the sort of pop science that comes into planners and the whole industry around journals can be really—I'm very skeptical of them. However, these are—we're talking about— peer-reviewed journal studies in the medical community that have
0: some profound results. So psychologists from the University of California were actually able to investigate the effect of journaling by inviting 20 people to their lab for a brain scan. Basically, they asked some of these people to write about something really emotionally intense, something that happened to them it was a big deal. The others wrote about something neutral, just something basic that happened to them that they have no strong emotional attachment to. And what they found is that those who chose to write about the emotional experience showed more activity in the part of the brain called the right ventrolateral prefrontal cortex. Basically, this is a part of the brain that controls emotion and mood. The study then showed that the folks who wrote about these emotional experiences reported being more relaxed and having a better mood. So if you're writing about something that actually has a big emotional significance to you versus writing about something that is just neutral or is just blasé or is just casual, it actually can have a positive impact on your mood.
1: Right. And another researcher in the field wasn't so convinced about this, right? They said... Listen, the mere act of writing isn't necessarily beneficial, especially if you're writing about something like trauma, which can trigger distress and physical and emotional arousal in the brain that's not so pleasant. Not all people will work through that distress therapeutically, and basically it could leave you feeling really emotionally raw. It's not just the act of writing, says psychologist Helen Marlowe. She says... Quote, I get concerned that if people just write about traumatic events, they get raw and opened up and aren't able to work through it on their own. But that said, her study doesn't really provide any evidence that writing poses a risk or any long-term harm, even if it does leave you feeling
0: emotionally raw. I can definitely identify with that skepticism around journaling, but here's why I think she might be wrong— Basically, according to this research, it really comes down to the kind of journaling that people are doing. Um, There's evidence that the nature of a person's writing is really key to tapping into those health benefits. Researcher Susan Lutgendorf, PhD of the University of Iowa, did an intensive journaling study where she found that really it's about how you're writing about these issues. If you're writing about them and deriving some sort of meaning from what you're writing about, meaning that you're you know, being self-critical or self-reflective, you're using words that show that you're processing these emotionally heavy things that you're writing about, you actually can tap into these benefits. If you're just writing about your emotions and you're just logging them and not actually doing any of the work to process them via writing, you actually end up faring worse than the folks in the study who wrote about neutral things.
1: And it's kind of similar, if you think about it, to parallels that have been drawn in the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy world, that same researcher, Pennebaker, behind the UC studies said that people who talk about things over and over in the same way aren't getting any better. There has to be growth or change in the way they view their experiences. So really, it's not the act of writing. It's the quality of the journaling that you're doing. Are you analyzing your emotions? Are you exploring your perspectives? And are you, uh, finding or drawing new conclusions. That, to me, is the beauty of journaling, is that it's writing for the explicit intent of exploration. If you're just writing to chronicle or log or rant and rave, you might not end up experiencing those positive benefits. The other thing that I found most compelling, quite frankly, is that we're not just talking about feeling better. The research shows, in a really compelling way, that there are much more tangible, measurable health benefits associated with journaling.
0: Okay, when I first read this, I thought it was BS, but I dug deep. I looked at this study, I read it, and it sounds legit. According to a 1999 study by Joshua M. Smith, Ph.D., Arthur A. Stone, Ph.D., and Adam Huritz, M.D., journaling actually can improve your immune system and can help you improve with symptoms of things like asthma and rheumatoid arthritis. That sounds wild, right? It sounds really, really wild, but here's what they did.
1: So over the course of four months, patients in the study were assigned to write either about the most stressful event of their lives, and this is a sample size of 71, was in that selection group, or about emotionally neutral topics. So again, the control group here is writing. It's not that they're not writing. It's that the quality of their writing is different. The first group, the experimental group, was asked to really write about an emotionally salient experience in their lives. And the outcome over the course of four months of journal treatment was that asthma patients in the experimental group showed improved lung function, whereas the control group patients showed no change. Rheumatoid arthritis patients had a similar uh, demonstration of improvements in overall disease activity. And here they write, you know, it was a mean reduction in disease severity uh, of 28%, which is significant, versus the control group patients didn't have any kind of symptom change whatsoever. So if you look at the overarching uh, sample size, all the patients in the study, 47% of those in the experimental group experienced clinically relevant improvement based on journaling alone, whereas only 24% of the control group members experienced improvement based on writing, but not in a sort of emotionally significant way.
0: When I first heard that, it blew me away. But I have to say, so I have asthma. If you've ever listened to me huff and puff or sound hard to understand on this very podcast, you might already know that. Um, and And I know from having asthma... When I'm stressed out, my symptoms are much much worse. I have a much much harder time when when I'm stressed. And so, if we uh, if we buy that journaling helps lower stress levels, it doesn't actually sound that wild to me when I think about it in that in that way. That journaling vis a vis would then help improve lung function. I just have never thought about it in that way. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. It's kind of like. The link between cortisol, the stress hormone being prevalent in your system and journaling. If journaling can reduce like the chemical release of cortisol in your blood system, that has to have, I, I don't know. I would, I'm no doctor, but I would venture to guess that has ramifications for the rest of your health system. So that's, that's fascinating. Studies like this have shown such correlations when it comes to cancer, when it comes to a variety of mental and physical medical outcomes so if you really want to dive deeper into this you can explore the body of clinical peer-reviewed research that's out there linking journaling of all things and journaling in a very specific way about emotionally relevant experiences like boys and bank accounts uh, but in a way that helps you draw and explore different perspectives
0: another fascinating aspect of this is bringing in gender dynamics according to matthew lieberman a psychologist in the University of California, journaling actually benefits men more than it does women. He writes, men tend to show greater benefits, and that is a bit counterintuitive, but the reason might be that women more freely put their feelings into words so that this is a less novel experience for them. For men, it's more of a novelty.
1: It's almost like journaling can give men a safe space to be vulnerable, to be emotional, without judgment from our society, which still unfairly judges men and holds them up to this sort of toxic masculinity um socialization that that can probably leave a lot of men feeling bottled up and and not able to explore their emotions as easily.
0: That just seems to be like another side of the coin that we opened the show talking about where these black women and women like Virginia Woolf perhaps did not feel comfortable being their full selves in their published work because of society. If you're a Black woman, you have to be this kind of woman. If you're a successful, creative, writing woman, you have to be this kind of woman. And their diaries are really these this free place for them to actually be their authentic full selves. And I wonder if that's what's actually going on with these men as well.
1: That makes me feel a lot better about the kind of banal things that I've written about in my diaries over the years. So it kind of makes me feel better because it's not a space for any—it's not a reflection of your— professional ambition or your, you know, serious work at hand. It's really for you. It's your identity in construction. That's how I feel about it.
0: And I'm so thrilled that we actually have someone who is an expert on the way that writing and journaling can tap into that authentic self and who we are and can really sort of be a gift that we give to ourselves in terms of how we process how we show up in the world. And that is Rachel Wilkerson Miller, the senior lifestyle editor of BuzzFeed.com. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so honored. So, Rachel, you basically have written the book on dot journaling. That's not just Mm -hmm. an expression. You actually have a book called (laughs) Dot Journaling, a Practical Guide, which was released this July, and it's actually a number one Amazon bestseller in the scrapbooking category. So congratulations. Thank you so much. So it seems like journaling, particularly dot journaling, is really having a moment right now. Why do you Mm -hmm. think that is?
2: Um, I think... There are a couple things happening right now. First, um, I think in the past year or so, we've seen sort of a trend toward mindfulness from people toward people thinking I need to not spend as much time on my phone or watching Netflix. So, I think the adult coloring book trend was sort of the beginning of this, and dot journaling is a very natural progression. But it's a little more permanent, it's a little more self-guided, it's a little more thought involved, um, which I think people are looking for a creative outlet. And, you know, putting pen to paper is sort of a time-tested thing that feels really good. Um, But I also think that specifically right now, you know, the political climate, no matter what your views are, is really tough. People are very stressed out we, one of the interesting things is no matter where you fall in the political spectrum, you're probably convinced that the world is about to end. And I think that, like, there's a drive there to record history as it happens or to record your own personal history or just to kind of, um, you know, make your mark on the world and also kind of practice self-care at the same time. So I think that probably the the general anxiety and stress right now is definitely leading people to kind of want to reflect and, and that sort of thing.
1: I think that is spot on. Mm-hmm. And, I'm intrigued as a longtime journaler myself, I have always been writing in my sort of various journals over the years, but I'm curious about what makes dot journaling specifically effective or helpful for folks. Can you just explain the basics of what dot journaling is all about? Yes, totally.
2: And and one thing I will say to preface this is that it's a really simple concept that is remarkably difficult to explain. Um, so to listeners kind of keep that in mind. Um, (laughs) it's hard to explain because it's kind of like you can do whatever you want and there are no rules, But so then how do you explain it to people? Um, but the basic idea is that you're using kind of this structure or framework to guide your journal. And it's very much you, you create it as you go, like you would most journals um, or a, even a planner or something to that effect. So there's no, like, you don't sit down and build out all of these cool layouts well in advance, it's very much one page at a time but you're using like sort of basic things like symbols, page numbers, and index to make it really easy to organize everything into one notebook. So previously, like I had my to-do list that I kept in one notebook, and then I had like a diary type of journal where I wrote other things. This kind of gives you a framework for putting both things together um, just by using different symbols to like mark things down really quickly, kind of categorize them at a glance. So if it has a dot next to it, that means it's a to-do. If it has a dash next to it, that means it's a thought. So, like, you look at a page from, like, today for me, I just have, like, all of my to-dos at the top. Later, I'll put in, like, my diary entries using the dash, and, like, that signals, like, these are two different things, but they all kind of taken together make up this dot journal. Um, also, people are doing the, the dot grid style of notebook has really caught on in the past couple of years, um, and it makes it really easy to create all of these different, like, very artistic, Spreads and layouts and calendar within a notebook that you probably couldn't do in a, as easily in a lined journal or a blank journal. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the basics. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes so much sense. So you've mentioned a couple of the reasons why someone might choose dot journaling over regular journaling. Is, is there, mm-hmm. is, are there more specific things why dot journaling might be um, more effective or a different kind of experience than just writing an aligned notebook?
2: Yeah, I think so. And, and I too have been like a lifelong journaler. And then I kind of fell out of the habit when I got into my 20s and it was, uh, you know, with the advent of blogs and the internet and, and texting my friends all day, I kind of like ran out of steam to write in a diary. Um, but this has really helped me do it. And I think there are a couple of reasons it's really caught on and it makes it more helpful. Um, first, the like using the dash to take, to jot down diary entries is remarkably liberating. Like, I think there's something about approaching a blank page where, you're like, I have to write a diary entry that feels very, like, serious and sort of official in a way that, like, just writing quick notes is yeah. really easy and there's, like, less pressure. So I found that really helpful. Um, and then by adding page numbers to everything and then, like, putting this index to the beginning or the end where essentially you can kind of write the page numbers of all of the important things. So, like, September habits, I can tell you what page that's on tell you what page like my reading list for 2017 is on it makes the diary or the journal essentially searchable so it's more functional than a regular diary or to-do list because it's like organized in this way that makes it really easy to find anything you care about Uh, in fact one of the most interesting things I found when I was researching my book is that a lot of diaries throughout history look remarkably like dot journals which I just made me really happy um so I was looking at a journal, uh, Mary Holyoke's Diary from the 17th century, and she uses a dash before, like, all of her entries, and they're really short and to the point, And she tracks really sort of dramatic life events this way. She lost several children in childbirth, or they died as infants, and it's really terrible. And she just logs it the same way that she logs a visit from a friend, um, which is sort of shocking, I think, now that we think of journals as this place for, like, intense... Self reflection, which is something that happened in the 20th century. Um, but we're kind of going back to basics here where just logging these things kind of quick. All events are given equal weight if you want them to be given equal weight. I had this idea in my head that, like, a diary is this very serious place where I write, like, very serious thoughts. And I felt a little weird, like, logging major life events the same way that I would log, like, need to get milk or, like, went to the store today. And then I realized, like, no, all of those things, like, make up who I am in the year 2016 or 2017, like, that gives us the complete picture of who we are. And as a matter of fact, like, this is actually how people have been using their diaries for centuries. So it's very much a return to form in a lot of ways.
1: I find what is so fascinating about the rise of journaling recently is that it really does feel like a response to our hyper-digital age. This is one of the most analog solutions to our overwhelm that comes with the digital age. Do you Mm -hmm. feel liberated by having a sort of more analog component to your life? Or do you, I'm curious, like, do you use Google calendar? You know what I mean? Cause I have gone right. all in on the digital mm-hmm. front and I've really left my journaling uh, behind. And I yeah, wonder so if it's a, and I, or. um,
2: yeah. So I still use Google calendar because I need it for work. And so that just makes perfect sense to me that like, I'm going to continue to use that. My meetings changed so much. I don't want to write them down in pen. Whatever, um, but I've never found a to-do list app that like does everything that I want it to do and doesn't get essentially like discontinued after two years. So I've always loved a pen and paper to-do list. I've never been satisfied using any other system. So like, I, I think for me it's very much a-, a return to basics personally to that kind of thing. But also, I like, think more generally, like as a society, it's very much a return to basics. Like writing things down, like taking notes, has been around for a while. Um, so yeah, I think that. Like, you can combine the two. I really like having the pen and paper option, especially, I think, at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Like, this is how I start my day and end my day, with pen and paper, not with my phone. And I think that's really valuable, and I think a lot of people are kind of feeling that, that they want, even if it's, like, 15 or 20 minutes, just some time that they're not looking at a screen.
0: We'll be right back with more from Rachel after this quick break. And we're back, but let's jump right back into our conversation with Rachel. I don't know if you had a chance to look at some of the research that we compiled, but I definitely think that one of the positive benefits of journaling every day is a little bit of a meditation and getting away from mm-hmm. screens and things like that. Um, are there other benefits that you see from journaling, maybe personal benefits, professional benefits, creative benefits? What kind of other, in addition to just getting away from your screen for 15 minutes, God knows it's so hard, but what other kind of benefits have you seen um, folks have from journaling?
2: So I think using this system has definitely helped me um become more organized. I'm a generally pretty organized person, but like again, the searchable factor is so major that like I can really track like my conversations with my boss and we have our check-in every week. Like I'm I'm better at like following up on the things we discussed or recording them because I have a better framework for it. So I really love that aspect of it. Um it's also helped me creatively. It's sort of taken me a few steps, but basically after I really got into dot journaling, then I started doing morning pages, which are outlined in the book um The Artist's Way which is a whole sort of a different type of journaling, but for me was an extension of this other thing I was doing. And that has been like a really incredible creative shift for me. And now um, in an effort to be on my phone last, I'm journaling like multiple times throughout the day. So my new thing lately has been doing uh, journaling pages at the end of the day. So I was in a really bad habit where I would get home from work, start looking through Twitter, catching up on blogs, go to Reddit, and like an hour and a half would go by and I had news from the couch. Uh, so my new thing is when I get home, immediately I sit down and just stream of consciousness journal for, like, 20 or 30 minutes, and it has been a complete game changer. Um, part of it is because when I'm walking home, I usually get a ton of creative ideas, and I'm, like, really stimulated when I get home. But it's also helped me sort of retrain my brain and and break that habit of, like, getting home and just scrolling through my phone for hours. Um, so it's actually I've been able to, like write a ton that way to capture the things that I was reading on my way home or the podcast I listened to on my walk home. It's just been like such a wonderful ritual to build into my everyday routine. So I feel like that's another really great way to use a journal.
1: You are giving me all of the goals around creative work because obviously Bridget and I, it's our job to come up with topics for a podcast and I do a boatload of writing, which I know you do as well, Bridget, outside of producing two podcasts a week. Honestly, finding a way to optimize your creative energy, not only to write the things you want to write about, but also to come up with and be inspired when it comes to what you want to explore next. It's a challenge. Um, Completely. Especially to harness your own creative energy and figure out what works for you. Like I was saying, we've gone totally digital. And now I'm wondering, should we incorporate more pen to paper into our workflow? Do you feel like as a creative writer and maybe for other creative entrepreneurs listening, that mixing up your pen to paper, sort of more analog methodologies with the digital ways that many of us work now is important?
2: Yeah. I mean, I found it to be so helpful. So basically when I started like trying to journal more, I was running out of ideas and that was what led me to start writing out essentially notes for future essays in a journal. And there's something for me, like I know that there's sort of the mythology around like a blank page being really stressful, but I find a blank journal page less stressful than a blank Google doc. Like for some reason, I have this sense of like, this is just for me. I don't need to show it to anyone else. Like I can write whatever I want here. And it feels like so much less pressure. Uh, so I, uh, I've been doing that occasionally. And then like, when I go back, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write the essay. Now I'm going to type it into a Google doc. I'll go back. And it's like, oh my gosh, I wrote three pages. Oh my goodness. The the, the bulk of it is done. And I didn't even sort of realize that I didn't even feel it.
1: I want to do that. We need some more of that in our lives right now. I really recommend it.
0: I can't help but lift up a, a lot of the things that you're saying for me um, as a, you know, a, a creative professional, like all of us are in this conversation. Um, I am someone who is me. Ma- I know that. Well, I'll just put it this way. Rachel, from being in your home, I know you're a very <laughs> organized person. Emily is also very organized there there are also those of us who are creative professionals who are not type A, perhaps for type B, type C, type D, sort (laughs) of fly by the seat of our pants, creative types. Totally, (laughs) And I think listening to what you're saying that the, one of the benefits of creative journaling is that it helps you follow up on those bursts of creative energy, right? Like I am someone who I just get an idea and I'm like, oh, this is my idea. And then if I don't write it down, it's gone in my head and it's just, you know, it's, it's, just gone. Um, So I love this idea of journaling as an intentional way of focusing that sort of manic, creative energy so that you can actually capitalize on it and do something with it other than just forget about it in the shower the next day. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So I guess my question is, for those of us who are not super organized, like myself, um, (laughs) what are the suggestions that you have for really making this habit work for us?
2: So I think the best advice I can give you is start small, don't go overboard. I think it can be really tempting when you're looking at like all of these cool things that you can do to want to do all of them at once, which is fun for like a week. And then you like, you know, something changes in your routine and you're thrown off and you just give up entirely, or you get really overwhelmed. because You can't keep up with it. Um, so I really recommend like first, I think when you approach any new habit, especially this one, I think like really think about what you want to get out of it and what your purpose is. So you have like the thing to keep you motivated to stick with it. Um, and then, like, set your goal around what your life actually is, not the person you want to be. Like, if you are if you know you're not going to write for an hour every day, like, don't make that the goal. Make your goal writing for 15 minutes every day. I think that's a, a, a good place to start. Um, and then, you know, everything you do, everything you add, whether it's beautiful highlighters and markers or washi tape or, like, cool spreads, should be to serve the journal and to serve you. And, like, you shouldn't feel like you are beholden to it. Um, so for me, it meant you, I gave myself a rule that you can only start with like one pen, no fancy spreads. You have to do this for a month first to see if you actually like it, to kind of commit to it. Once it's actually a habit and you've built it into your day, then you can go crazy. So that really helped me. Um, and I definitely recommend it to people who tend to get like, get super excited about stuff and then like kind of lose steam. Um, so if that. Feels like you, I I think that would
0: be a good recommendation. That does feel like me, Rachel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also just love what you have to say, Rachel, in your recent post for BuzzFeed titled Being Organized is a Gift I Give Myself and Other People, that really busts apart this mythology of someone is born organized and type A or not. Can you tell me more about right. about what your philosophy is on that front? Yeah.
2: I realized, you know, people, like, I, a lot of people think I'm very organized, and, and I think there's this idea, especially with women on the internet, that, like, oh, she's so effortlessly organized, like, good for her. I could never do that. And I'm like, I'm actually not effortlessly organized. Like, this is work. Like, I, it's a choice that I make, and it's gotten easier now that I've been doing it for longer. But, like, I had to shift my mindset and not expect that it should come easily, but to kind of see know that there's real, like, labor here. There's emotional labor. There's, there's time involved and a, a mental shift that I had to make to decide, I want to be an organized person because it makes me feel better. It makes the people who depend on me feel better. Like, that's not effortless, and that's what is so great about it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm making a choice to do this thing and for I'm myself. And I'm
1: sure, Rachel, that that choice comes with boundaries you've set so that you yes. can protect your own time and give yourself mm-hmm. the time and care that it takes to be taking care of yourself in that way because that's exactly exactly how I feel about it it's like It definitely takes work to be organized, and sometimes it means saying no to other people to protect your ability to be organized. Yeah, I think saying no is a huge part of it.
0: (laughs) What's funny, Rachel, is I saw you post that article on BuzzFeed, and I came very Mm. close to tagging Emily, my number one organized (laughs) friend, in the post. No, I mean, my whole I hear so much of myself and what you're saying. I have this fantasy that one day I will wake up and just my DNA will be different, right? I'll be organized and together and my apartment will be spotless all the time and I'll have perfect hair and my life will be so great and I'll never spill (laughs) whenever white and blah 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 like one day I'll wake up and all these things I've always wanted to be different will be different but I love what you're saying is that it's not about being born organized or not being organized it's about choices and it's about knowing yourself and knowing hey if I want to have this kind of outcome I know I'll never do I'll never be the kind of person who does xyz so how can I Mm -hmm. make doing that work for me and, and who I actually am. It's sort of it's sort of a weird kind of self-acceptance, almost.
2: hmm And I think there's something really empowering about realizing that you actually have control over this situation because I think it's very easy to think, like, oh, I'm just a complete mess. Like, I'll never be able to show up on time. Like, this is just who I am. I'm always late. And it's like, what if you...
0: More on time though. Like, what if what if that is true? Rachel, what if you, you I, I, say, I feel. Now. I gotta say, I feel personally attacked right now. I know. I feel ganged up on. Is this an intervention? <laughs> we all care about you, Bridget. We just want you to be on time. <laughs> I personally have no experience with you being late, so I didn't realize that. Like, I'm not even
2: sure
1: that's true. I think she just talks publicly about being late on the, more often than she's actually late. But it is funny to have two Type A's on the line because it's usually B but and I playing I, off each other's differences. I don't
2: even think of myself as Type A. Like I probably would call myself like Type B C-. minus. Like I don't. I don't know because I don't feel like super stressed about it. Like I feel like I'm pretty chill in general. Um, so I don't know. I think I that's have funny no, thing like, the perception
1: of being Now a I feel personally possible. attacked. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. No, I think you're totally spot on that it's not that simple, right? It's about effort. Right. It definitely takes effort. But the beauty is a little bit of effort can make the rest of your life feel effortless.
2: It really, like, it will come back to you tenfold. I think that is one of the most, like, important things to think about, that, like, making these smaller decisions is a little bit of an investment up front, whether that's of time, whether that's of mental energy. I talked about this in the essay, but, like, I don't want to spend, you know, 45 minutes trying to, like, find my prescription for my glasses and then, like, calling my, like, finding the time to call my eye doctor and then, like, going to my eye doctor and picking up the prescription, like, when I have the time so that I can finally order new glasses. Like, that's so much work. That's such a waste of time. Like, if I just know where my glasses prescription is, I don't have to do that. So, like, if I take the 20 minutes up front to decide where I'm going to put my glasses prescription and I put it there, I save so much time in the long run and so much, like, And embarrassment and anxiety in the long run. So it's very much just the like shift of like, okay, you you know, it's a it's a delayed gratification thing. I think. Um, But once you do it a few times, it's like, okay, hey, wait, this actually feels really nice, (laughs) and it's like very much motivation to keep doing it.
0: Rachel, you really hit it on the head. I think this idea that journaling, being organized. Figuring out ways of documenting how we're showing up, who we are—all um, of these can be sort of gifts that we give ourselves in a form of self-care. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I, I'm I'm so thrilled and in awe of hearing you say this. And my journey of being an organized together person is going <laughs> to start tomorrow. <laughs>
2: Yay! I hope it starts. With, I I, tr- I truly feel like having a to-do list really makes everything feel under control. So start there. Like start with a list. It really helps.
0: I love it. Uh, Rachel, where can folks find out more about your book and your writing and all the cool things you're up to these days?
2: Uh, The best place to find me is my blog. It's T-H-E-R-E-W-M dot com. The room. R-E-W-M, though. Um, And then that has links to everything else. Um, But if you're on Twitter, you can find me at the underscore room. and That is also the same on Instagram. So those are the best places to start. There are links to my book there. And kind
0: of go from there. I love it. Rachel, thank you so much for being with us today. We learned so much about the way that journaling can really help us live our lives and maybe make us more aspirational versions of ourselves, if you're me, maybe. <laughs>
1: Or make us more creative versions of
0: ourselves. That's it.
1: I am a journal geek myself, so I want to hear from you, Sminty listeners. How has journaling played a role in your life? Is this something that you've had as a practice for a long time? Is it something you wish you could do more of, but it's never been a habit that's really stuck? What do you get out of journaling if you are a journaler? And do you think of yourself as a writer? Because it took me 25 years to see myself not only as a journaler, but as a writer who has something to say too.
0: Or are you like me, who has been sort of a scattered, creative type, who has kind of dipped in and out of the journaling vibe a little bit and likes to think of yourself as a journaler, but can't quite get there on a regular basis? <laughs> How are you holding up?
1: I want to see, like, what a
0: journal of yours looks like. Oh, it's 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 chaos. It's, <laughs> it's chaos.
1: I just think it's interesting that you say creative type there, too.
0: Yeah, I mean... I think I, I think I think of myself as someone who is just a, a thinker and a, and, a, and a creator and I'm most happy when I'm creating things in sort of a chaotic scattered way. And so even though I know that you are also a creative type, you're right. very organized about it. And so for me, creativity looks like scattered, looks like papers on the yeah. floor, but I know what they all mean. It looks like post-its that if anyone else saw they would say, are you okay? But I get what they're saying.
1: (laughs) Well, I think there's another episode to explore there at some point in the near future. I like it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. As always, we want to continue this conversation with you. Hit us up on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Find us on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. And we love getting your emails. So send them our way at MomStuff at (laughs) HowStuffWorks.com.